Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Listen to Less. Today, we have a very special guest, my friend Fifi. Fifi, welcome. Glad to have you. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Like, yeah, I'm just so excited to <laughs> finally meet you. This is amazing. So tell us, you have your own business. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your business, who you are, where you came from, how you got yeah. here, your own yeah. issues. I feel like everyone's got a health issue that's in it, <laughs> that we always start with our own issues, right? A hundred percent. Um. So yeah, my name's Fiona. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and Honestly, like my health started, it's like, I almost think like, where do I even start when I tell my health journey? Cause there's just so many things going all Like if I really think back, it started in childhood, mm-hmm. like digestive issues from the age of five. Like I kid yeah. you not raging IBS. I use that in air quotes because <laughs> I think it was IBS. Yeah, um, but, I mean, what even but, is IBS? <laughs> right, right. I speculate it was a lot of other issues other than just IBS, but right. had raging digestive issues and IBS as a kid on tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of antibiotics for mm. sinus infections and ear infections. Um, and I feel like our generation specifically, like I'm 27. I feel like so many, I get DMs constantly on Instagram of people saying like, that's my exact story. It's just so crazy. We've all have such similar health things going on, but gut issues, sinus infections, ear infections, antibiotics. And then it kind of all came to a head when I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, that is where my health rock bottomed. So I wow. never can relate to people when they say, Oh, like I felt so good when I was in college. And now as a, as someone in my late twenties, now I feel like shit now as a, can I say that? Yes, you <laughs> can swear. <laughs> okay in my late twenties, now I feel like shit or in my thirties, I feel like shit. Like for me, it was 16. Like when my health, like period pain that left me passed out and throwing up every month, like leaving class to go pass out in the bathroom, like level bad. That's terrible. The point. Yeah. Like to the, and that's just like what I was, I was normal. Right. Like that's normal. Mm -hmm. No, no, that is a sign (laughs) of like, you've raging digestive issues and then period pain that's making you throw up because it's that intense. That's a sign of such an, such a powerful imbalance, like multiple imbalances in the body. And so that just like followed me into college and my parents are like pretty conservative. My mom's actually pretty holistic. She, like, I remember being in excruciating pain and she's like, take this fish oil. Like this will help you with your period cramps. I'm like, screw the fish oil. Like I want to go on the drugs. Like I was so not holistically minded because when you're in that much pain, it's like, give me what will stimulate this. And that's, I I think that's so many people who go on birth control. It's just like, we feel like we're backed into a corner and that's your only option. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're too far gone. That's your only solution. And so my mom, yeah, very holistic. She's like, take the fish oil. I'm like, I don't want the fish oil. (laughs) And she was spot on. She was actually very intuitive to the point that like, we know, like, people who eat more fatty fish have less painful periods, which is really yeah. cool. So she kind of knew. She kind of knew. She knew. Um, yeah, she was with it. <laughs> and so then, like, fast forward to college, my parents were, like, very conservative. They're like, you're not going on the pill. You're not going on birth control. And so I literally remember being, like, freshman year of college, first week on campus. I, drove, I like, rode my pink bike with a little basket, like, to Planned Parenthood, like, in my 
um, college town. And I actually called my dad because my dad was on board with it. My mom was not. Oh. like, okay, here's the numbers to the insurance. Like you can go to, you know, wherever and then go yeah. get birth control. So obviously like I'm, I'm showing the woman at like the clinic, I'm showing her my like raging cystic acne, like painful, painful, painful. Like I had never had acne throughout like high school or junior high, like normal kids. It was like 18 acne, like why? And so, um, yeah, I'm showing her my acne. I'm telling her about my periods, five minute doctor's visit, birth control. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's so happy about it. I, and this was when I knew what I did, had no knowledge of hormonal birth control. I'm like, it's balancing my hormones. Like (laughs) it's making me feel so much better because I'm not having period pain. Um, but then, you know, you trade the period pain and the acne. It's like, yeah, I had clear skin. And then I wasn't passing out from period pain. But then I, you know, went on antidepressants and I was like, hmm, I'm having panic attacks for the first time in my life. And I'm so depressed. I can't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And then I lost my scholarship in college because I wasn't going to class because I could not get out of bed. And then like my digestive issues got even worse. And then more food intolerances, more sensitivities. Like I didn't think it could get worse and it got worse going on the pill, which we know like the pills is associated with leaky gut and intestinal permeability. So it makes complete sense. And then later on to di- get diagnosed with Hashimoto's. So it, to me, it just makes the perfect sense. It's like the perfect storm of, cause I view gut issues kind of like as the Pandora's box for autoimmune. Oh, yeah. um, and it's like all of those factors <laughs> kind of snowballed and took, you know, 20 years to snowball to get to that point of full blown autoimmunity. Right. So and now a lot of clients I work, I work with currently struggle with very similar things that I've struggled with. So a lot of clients that come to me are dealing with like thyroid imbalances, hormonal imbalances, gut issues, um, and, and yeah, even like mental health, because mm-hmm. that like the body is so connected. Oh, I yeah. think it's really wrong that like our Western medical system kind of like silos and puts into buckets like you see this doctor for your mental health and this Mm -hmm. gastroenterologist for this and this rheumatologist for autoimmune and this endocrinologist for that. It's like the whole body's connected. Um, and so I kind of just went on my own journey of like, I call it DIYing it like DIYing (laughs) in college. So I was like a broke college student. Like I had no, there was no way I had like the resources to like go off to a provider. So I just start like listening to podcasts and like reading books. And I found like Dr. Jolene Brighton's work and all of this stuff. And I started like actually seeing results on the things that I was doing on my own which inevitably led me to go back to school and like get formal training. So I went to school with the NTA and now I work with clients. So that's kind of like my story I in a nutshell. It. I'm sorry if it was long winded, but yeah, that's no, it's kind great. of like how I ended up here. That is very interesting. I didn't know that your story started like so, so young. Uh, yeah very young and it's like it's interesting because I see memes all the time on Instagram and I kind of hate meme culture and like how we normalize these things but I see it all the time like oh just wait till you're 30 just wait till you're 40 and you're gonna have these health issues it's like girlfriend I've had health issues since I was mm-hmm. 10 like I remember being 10 years old at the sleepover like about to shit my pants like <laughs> I'm not I, I I like to say I feel like I aged backwards like I feel better at age 27 than I did at 17 yeah there's something not right with that. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, also those memes where it's like, just wait, just wait. Or the people that are telling you that 
Yeah. They probably got some gut stuff. They probably got some autoimmune stuff. They probably got some stuff going on that they could, they could fix and they wouldn't be dealing with it in their thirties, forties, fifties. And I feel like that's where that's what, I mean, I have a lot of issues that I don't want to keep experiencing, but at the same time, I want to be my healthiest. I don't want to be like my dad having a heart attack at 58. You know, I, I don't want that for me. My there's diabetes and my, my entire dad's side has diabetes. He's the only one that doesn't. And he's got many siblings. I don't want to get that diagnosis when I get to that age. Right. So it's like, I want to do this stuff now so that I don't end up like that. Cause it is, it's like normalized in memes and whatnot, but it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And that's also too, like, for anyone listening to this, that's like very young and you're dealing with your own health issues. I literally see that as a blessing in disguise. Mm-hmm. When you're young. Your subtle turnover is so fast. Oh, yeah. You have the ability to turn the ship around so much faster than someone. It's not to say you can't in your forties, fifties, sixties, like mm-hmm. you absolutely can, but I'm just saying you have like time on your side and you are so much more resilient when you're young. So I see it as a blessing in disguise. Cause I'm like, Okay, I had to take my health seriously at such a young age that now, like when I'm 30, I'm gonna be feeling like a freaking million bucks. Like when I'm 40, <laughs> I'm gonna be feeling like a million bucks. When I'm 50, I'm gonna be feeling like a million bucks. Well, everyone around me, I mean, I hope that not everyone around me is crumbling, but you know what I you know what I'm saying? Like yes. people, it's just like people don't get that wake-up call until usually later in life. Mm-hmm. And so when you get that wake-up call when you're 16, 18, 20 that is the time you can turn the ship around faster. And it's actually a positive thing. And I just, I say that because for so many years, I would say my body's betraying me or my body's breaking down and why me and why can my friends go out on a Saturday night and get blackout drunk and I sleep 18 hours a night and like, I can barely function. Like why I would, I, I just really fell into like this victim pity, like why me, why me, why me attitude when it's like, it's so fair and you're allowed to feel frustrated. You're allowed to feel pissed off. But at the same time, it really is a blessing in disguise because you start valuing your health at such a young age. And mm-hmm. that's such a beautiful thing because most people don't like, cha- unfortunately, most people don't change their health until they get a life altering diagnosis later in life. Right. And you're now taking care of yourself at a younger age and you can turn the ship yes. around. Faster. Yes. Yep. That is, I, I personally struggle a lot with health anxiety and like, I would consider myself to be a hypochondriac, but at the same time, I'm very grateful that I have been so in tune with my body at a young age because it helped me to realize these yeast infections I'm getting every three months. That's not normal. (laughs) I, I shouldn't, I don't have to live with that. And it like cued me in to, okay, this is actually an issue I need to fix now and like get help now and not just wait until this festers into a disease later. Exactly. Exactly. It's a double-edged sword because I'm also someone who like tends to be more anxious myself when it comes to those sorts of things. But also the beauty of that is that you are more in tune to all of the little whispers your body's giving you that our traditional healthcare system tells us to ignore like, oh, your periods are painful, whatever. Like you don't, you actually don't have to pay attention to that at all because that's just normal. And like, oh, you're having chronic yeast infections or chronic UTIs. That's actually normal. Like we're just going to give you something that just shuts up whatever's going on, just turns off the symptom. So it, and there's so much like gaslighting in our medical system that I think it's like very difficult for women and like people with menstrual cycles to be very in tune with their cycle mm-hmm. because we're constantly told like, actually, these things don't matter. You can just shut it down. You don't have to pay attention to that. Right. It's all in your head. Like, 
So I think it's actually like a very incredible thing to be that intuitive with your body mm-hmm. when we live in a world that tells us not to pay attention to those things at all. Yes. I a hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. So today Fifi and I are going to kind of bounce back and forth between some of the controversial things that we do for our health that some of these may be very, very controversial. Some of these you may be listening and be like, okay, that's not controversial, but in the internet age of 2023, the internet finds them controversial. (laughs) People on the internet need to touch grass and like, literally though, they literally need to go ground themselves in the grass. I always say it's like, I've gotten DM or no, I've gotten comments from like, no hate to like vegans or anyone listening to this, but I've gotten like comments from people saying, you're an animal murderer. Like you eat chicken periods. And it's like, when you're going to the grocery store and you buy eggs, like no one's saying that to you. The cashier's (laughs) not saying that to you. People in like, people forget that, okay, normal people don't say that. Right. (laughs) You go online and you're like, oh, is it controversial that I eat eggs? I don't think so. But Jessica, the vegan. Jessica thinks so. Jessica. <laughs> um, you said this. I don't know if you say this often in your comments, but and I don't even remember what the post was about, but I clicked the comments and the top post that was like dogging you or something. You said the decisions I make for my health don't have to make sense to you. And yeah. I was like, Mike, <laughs> drop. I am saving that. I put it in my notes. <laughs> That makes me so happy. Those are some very wise words. So that is the mantra of what we're going to talk about today. Ah, that makes me so happy that resonated because it's like people love to insert themselves into what you find is best for your personal body. I'm sorry. Like, why does that concern you at all? Mm -hmm. I can use my own decision-making. I can look at information myself and be an informed consumer. Like, why does that have to make sense to you? So it's just really strange that people try to like insert themselves in what you're doing for your unique personal health that is completely specific and unique to you. Why? It's like, it's so interesting too. And maybe it's because like it has to do with our health. So it's a little bit more than like your wardrobe, but people don't care. Well, some people on the internet do, but people don't care what you wear. Like there's so many different styles of clothing that are allowed, you know, like you can have your own fashion sense and that's totally fine. Like uniqueness is, is applauded, but Mm -hmm. you, you eat eggs. You're (laughs) like, God forbid, like you're the worst person ever. You're not allowed to eat eggs because I don't eat eggs. You can wear heels, even though I never wear heels because you're, you're allowed to be unique in your fashion sense, but your diet can't be different than mine. It has to be the same. Yeah. I think it's like people, we live in an age where people follow diets and diet frameworks like religion Mm -hmm. like literally like religion like people follow veganism like a religion or even like carnivore like a religion or paleo like a religion and they literally make it their identity Mm -hmm. so if someone is doing something that isn't in alignment with my identity then that's a big issue and I need to push my identity on every single person. So it's just like very strange because I think it's so harmful to like make your identity a diet framework or like make your way of eating who you are. My friend, I don't know if you follow, I think her username's health with Shannon 
love her. I think that's her username. She was saying that like, you shouldn't make your a, a diet, your, your identity one, because it's like, people don't say, oh, I eat a keto diet. Like you don't hear people say that. They're like, I am keto. I yes, am carnivore. I am. Like, like, oh, I eat a carnivore diet. Like it's, <laughs> I am. I it's am a carnivore. Yeah. Yes. So it's like, but what your body needs at different chapters of your life might change and evolve. Mm-hmm. So are you down for that? Or are you not going to change the way you need to nourish yourself because it's your identity and then you're shooting yourself in the foot? Yeah. And then even on top of that, it also just makes me think of this is too, when it, you, when it becomes your, your identity, if you do something off that plan, yeah. it's like a mortal sin, you're going to hell. You know, yeah. it's like ever. it's like, oh my God, that's not, that's not keto. You ate a carb and it becomes this huge controversy yeah. probably within your own self too, you know, mm-hmm. and it can kind of be a little self-harmful to your own self-esteem of like, you feel like, oh, I've made this my identity. I have to stick to it. Yeah. You know, it kind of, it, it puts fences up in your life that don't necessarily need to be there. Yeah. And I see that a lot in, cause I personally, and this might be controversial since that's the topic of our podcast today, but I don't work with uh, vegan or vegetarian clients. I have my mm-hmm. coaching practice closed to that because I'm not the right person to work with you. And there's tons of other providers out there that are, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. Like I never want to be dogmatic in my approach, but I've just made a personal choice to only work with people who are at least open to adding back in like animal-based protein. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I have worked lately with a lot of like vegetarians and vegans who are like very, very, very scared to add animal protein back in. I don't know if you've worked with any clients. Um, along the same lines, but yeah, I, I have I, one client right now. She, she's going to listen to this. Love yeah. you girl. Um, and she was, I don't remember if she was vegetarian or vegan. I think she was vegan, but she hasn't touched red meat yet, but yeah. she has brought in poultry and it's yeah, like been awesome. really great for her. She actually was a guest on the podcast a couple episodes ago and she talked about it. So I know she'll be okay with me talking about her and she, I'm very proud of her and it's helped her hormone health a lot. I've worked in the past with, um, very strict vegetarians. And I will say it was really difficult to help them get in adequate protein even just aside. And I felt like we were like pushing a lot of extra supplementation that they just couldn't get in their diet. And so it was very difficult. And I also have never been vegan or vegetarian. So as someone recommending things, I felt it was like a kind of a gap because I couldn't give my best recommendations because I've never lived that. Yeah. It's not your lived experience. So it's hard to be like, oh, eat this or do that to fill in gaps because it's not Yeah, I was vegan for, I I like struggled to even call myself that because it was for such a short period of time. It was in college. I watched What the Health. I'm like, (laughs) oh, all meat is a carcinogen because What the Health told me that. Had no nutrition education, like no, no research was done. It was like, oh, I'm going to watch, in my opinion, I call it vegan propaganda and people on TikTok get really mad when I say that. They're like, "Mm, you think you screws loose if you call it vegan propaganda. I mean, I call it like I see it. It's vegan propaganda, like game changers. What that game changers. Oh, huge one. And so 
I watched that and I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to go vegan now because all meat is a carcinogen. I worked at Applebee's at the time in college. And I remember going into work the next day, serving a steak, like taking a steak out of the window, about to drop it off to my table. And that's a carcinogen, like telling everyone in the kitchen, just being insufferable, insufferable. (laughs) And I like had, again, raging digestive issues at the time. If you have IBS or IBS like symptoms, that is like the last diet framework Mm -hmm. I would recommend last one because I was at the time where I, I can tolerate all FODMAPs now but I was reacting to FODMAPs it was like beans uh I was just loading up on like chickpeas hummus beans black beans broccoli cauliflower brussels sprouts and I'm like why haven't I pooped in four days that's kind of weird but I'm fine because I'm eating so healthy yeah. and like I just find there's a lot of cognitive dissonance and I don't yeah you know this is like our controversial podcast so I'm just gonna call it like I see it. I just see a lot of cognitive dissonance of people saying oh, I'm vegetarian and I feel fine, but you have four autoimmune diseases and I'm vegan and I feel fine, but having all of these gut issues. And then I've even, I've straight up asked people in my DMs where they're like, I'm vegan and I feel like shit, what's wrong? I straight up will say, have you considered this diet has not been working for you? And they go, no, it's not the diet. Like there's no Mm -hmm. way because it's so difficult when that's tied into your identity Mm -hmm. and you have friends that are in that community, or maybe you even have like a vegan um, cooking social media page. I don't know. Like people tie it into their identity. So it makes it very difficult to break out from that, even if that's something your body could benefit from. So I don't know. I just think it's like very harmful to make it part of your identity. I think that's a really good point. And that's like not necessarily something that I've thought about before, but I think that's a, you're, you are onto something big of like you, and even if it's okay, you're listening to this and you, you do eat a vegan diet and you want to keep that like good for you, do your thing. You're probably gonna have to supplement with some, some extra vitamins there, but don't make it your identity because then it kind of creates this whole like internal and external conflict with your dialogue of like, that has to be you, even if maybe it's not serving you down the road. That doesn't mean that like right now you have to stop being vegan, but like, what if down the road you develop these autoimmune conditions, if it, if it has been your identity and that's what you created as your whole identity. And that concept is brought up to you. That's going to feel like a much bigger, like triggering event of, Oh, but I don't know what I am without calling myself this versus if you just say, Oh, I do. I I stick to more of a plant-based diet. You're going to have a little bit more leeway and not have as much internal conflict down the road. If you need to stop doing that. Yeah, exactly. Like what your body needs at different stages of your life might change and evolve. So it's like, why deprive yourself of what your body needs by creating an identity in a diet framework? Mm -hmm. Same thing with low carb. Like I have, I have insulin resistance. Well, I I no longer have insulin resistance, but I had insulin resistance. And so insulin resistance space, PCOS space is very low carb, no sugar, no carbs, no, um, like no dairy, no gluten, like very, very strict. And so that might work for some people, but what I've learned as my nutrition education has grown and evolved, it's like, okay, first stage of life. Okay. Low carb maybe worked for me until it didn't work because right. also when you're restricting carbohydrates, you're restricting all of your electrolytes, like potassium, um, like potassium is a big one. We need so much potassium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like 
a macro mineral. And I just work with clients all day, every day that aren't getting anywhere close to the amount of potassium they should be getting. And so by adding, like I consider potatoes, superfood for like thyroid hormones, because you have vitamin C, potassium, like all, all of these nutrients. Um, and they're so filling. So I consider that like a superfood for PCOS. And then people go, well, I'm supposed to be low carb if I have PCOS and I'm a low mm-hmm. carb person or I'm a ketogenic person. And it's like that framework might've served you at one chapter of your life, but also considering that like, there's other ways to do things. And like, I used to get so, cause I've tried everything. Like when I went through my DIY stage of like trying all of these things before I had no nutrition education, like I was just, okay, we're going to try paleo. We're going to try keto. We're going to try low carb. We're going to try veganism. We're going to try intermittent fasting. Like I've literally done it all. Mm-hmm. Um, And like that may have worked quote unquote for a period of time, or maybe I got relief, but it wasn't, it was like eating around the imbalance. Like what about potassium that's needed for insulin sensitivity? Right. You get from carbs. Right. So I just, yeah, just making it your identity is not good. Yes. And that will, let's go into, I mean, you just touched on it, but carbs for PCOS, this is another controversial thing. I working with several PCOS clients, I've never once taken anybody low carb that has PCOS. And I recently, um, posted some before and after of like specific lab values of a PCOS client and how her insulin came down still is a little bit elevated, but she, we never once cut carbs. All we did was one, we worked on a lot of her stress. We worked on the source of her carbohydrates, where they were coming from, from like processed food, fast food to more whole foods and pairing them with fats, fibers, and proteins instead of eating just carb meals. Right. And her insulin came down so much just from doing that. We never, we never once cut carbs. She actually recently turned her check-in in and I was like, your carbs are slipping girl. I need you to pick up those carbs. (laughs) We need to be eating more. And it's working great for her. And like, we never once went keto or did intermittent fasting or anything like that. Right. And it's just interesting because like, I tell my clients this all the time. I like to view health like a house. So it's like you have the foundation of your health house, bricks, roof, throw pillows. I consider it's just so interesting, like where (laughs) people put their focus, like people put their focus so heavily on like throw pillows. It's like low carb, throw pillow, keto, throw pillow. Like those throw pillows might move the needle forward for some people, Mm -hmm. but it's like, I've never, I've worked with so many clients with PCOS and that's like not a tool I use. It's like, are you eating enough protein? Cause like, that's the first thing you should be looking at. Um, are you lifting weights, doing some sort of strength training? Cause that improves insulin sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Are you like fiber? You mentioned fiber. Like, are you hitting at least 30 grams a day of fiber? Most Americans are not hitting anywhere close to that. And I think like you said, the reason carbs get such a bad rap is like, we, I hate it. I literally hate it when people are like, carbs are bad. Uh, X, Y, Z is bad. It's like, are we just going to take all nuance out? Like, are we not going to talk about quality of carbs? Like you said, right. because eating something like a Japanese sweet potato is very different than a candy bar or like mm-hmm. eating something like organic quinoa is very different than Cheetos. Like right. the quality of carbs are so important. And like, I think that's why I just get really tired of these blanket statements. Like XYZ is bad without any nuance whatsoever, because most people for most people with PCOS, if you just find whole foods, carbohydrate sources. And like you said, pairing it with a fat, a protein fiber, and all of your whole foods carbs are going to have fiber, like potato, rice fiber. Um, 
you're going to be golden. Like you're mm-hmm. going to be good. And you probably, like you said, like your clients see those markers improve. Mm-hmm. So I've also never, never, never told a client to go low carb. Like that's just never been a tool in my toolkit. And so like, I'm not shaming anyone who like really benefits from that framework, but I just never, it's never been needed. Like, right. Like it's, we can see results by not doing that. So it's just yes. so weird that so many people will like jump to those yeah, throw pillows that like don't yes. matter. Get your foundation of your house down, girl. Because like right. you said, even stress, like that's a foundation of your house. And if that's not down, the whole thing's going to fall over. And you're focused on the throw pillows that do nothing. Nothing. Yes. So, so my next controversial thing that I want to bring up that kind of like, kind of plays into the topics that we've already discussed. Cholesterol. Ah, yes. <laughs> Cholesterol. I've had so many people recently, like in the last, I would say like four months, it's like been a a big question of, and it's, to me, it's surprising because like, I mean, we're in the, we're studying nutrition all the time. So some of the things that I think we've like moved way past when I get asked them, I'm like, oh, we're still on this, but tape. I've had multiple people say their cholesterol comes back high in lab work. And that's the one thing that they get very focused on and very upset about. And they start freaking out and they're like, I eat healthy. Like I do all these things. I need to reduce all of my fats and I need to stop eating eggs for breakfast. And I'm like, you should not do either of those things. That's not what we need to do to help that cholesterol. And I'll let you kind of take it away. Cause I know you've talked about this before and you are like the thyroid queen. I talk about the thyroid and cholesterol. Oh my gosh. Yes. Because when your thyroid is underactive, you will have high cholesterol point mm-hmm. blank period. If you have a thyroid issue, you're going to have high cholesterol. Does that mean that if you have high cholesterol because you're eating too much eggs? No. Does that mean your cholesterol is high from eating red meat? No, because most of your cholesterol, I believe it's like 75% is made endogenously. So in yes. your body, yep. the small little sliver, you're getting from your food but most of that cholesterol is made endogenously so if your thyroid is underactive cholesterol is naturally just going to be higher Mm -hmm. so what you should be focused on instead of cutting out all of these nutrient dense foods we should be focused on supporting thyroid function and getting to the root as to why you're it's I always say ask why until you can no longer ask why anymore because I Mm -hmm. also don't consider like the buck doesn't start there you're like oh okay I have thyroid issues and that's why my cholesterol is high okay now what Well, thyroid is not a root cause. I like to say like, and your hormones are not a root cause. And what we mean by that is like your hormones are just mirroring different imbalances. Your thyroid is a mirror for different imbalances. Mm -hmm. So the number one thing I see within my clients are gut issues. So if you're having gut issues, well, 10 to 20% of your T4 to T3, your inactive thyroid hormone to its active form, that's converted in your gut. So if your gut's off, your thyroid's going to be off. So like, it's also just, and, and then we talk, we can talk about minerals. Like if you're lacking in uh, potassium, zinc, iodine, iodine's controversial for thyroid issues. But if you're lacking in important minerals, it's like, then your thyroid can't function as well. And if your gut's not absorbing those minerals, your thyroid can't function as well. So you have to ask why until you cannot ask why anymore. Mm -hmm. So with high cholesterol, it's not as simple as like, when you say, oh, I'm just going to cut out eggs. It's like, you're eating around the problem. Like it's not addressing the problem at hand, like the problem at hand. And I don't think people realize how common thyroid issues are. According to the American Thyroid Association, one in 10, one in 10 Mm -hmm. adult women 
will develop a thyroid condition at any given point in their life. And I consider like, I don't want to get too much into like lab ranges because it's a little outside of my scope, but I look at optimal TSH between one and two. And personally, I see anything higher than that. Like a flag for concern, especially if you're having symptoms like cold hands and feet, you need to sleep 14 hours just to be a functioning human. Um, brain fog, constipation, period issues. So if that sounds like you, I think it's really also harmful not to go on like a complete other tangent, but when doctors are like, oh, your labs look fine, but your TSH is 4.5, like you have the TSH of a grandma, right? You're like, it's not fine. It's yeah. normal. It's normal in our quote unquote, in our medical system that goes off of these huge wide ranges, yes. but you're like right on the precipice of like, right. you're point two away, but you're not right. there yet. So come back when right. you are. Yeah. Just wait, just sit just on your hand, out. wait, and then we'll medicate you like in two yes. or three years, but just wait it out. Yes. Yeah. Cholesterol is a big one. And nobody really knows this unless you studied nutrition, but your hormones come from cholesterol. So if you don't have adequate cholesterols, I don't know, there was a study that I was looking at recently that actually showed it was in, they did the study in, I think it was Japan, um, that there was more cardiac related events with people that had low cholesterol, like too low versus high. And that's another thing in the medical field. If you look at the range, like when you get blood work from your doctor, there's not a low end. They just want you below a certain, there's a high end, but not a low end. But this study showed more cardiac events, um, from low cholesterol beyond what they deemed the study deemed as low compared to high. Interesting. Yes. And they took, they did take out anybody that had liver disease. Hmm. So I thought that was very interesting. I actually have what I consider low cholesterol and oh, got issues. I got issues. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm trying to work on getting that up. Yeah. Yeah. You're on the op- opposite side of the spectrum. Yes. It's like way too low for what, and what I've learned in functional testing is that my, not my, my HDL is really good, but my LDL was like a 35. And so mm. that is like pretty low. Yeah. And I do have some hormone issues. I've got gallbladder issues. I've got issues. So I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Getting to the root of those things to raise your cholesterol. Yeah. So. Hmm. But yeah, that conversation gets me heated because I think it's like, it's a highly politicized conversation as well. Like, I don't think people realize how much like pharma has influenced Mm -hmm. the way we think about cholesterol and I'm not an expert on this topic by any means like pharma's relationship with like different lab ranges but I do know that they benefit from Americans being on statins and statins are one of like the most prescribed yeah country and so they benefit like pharma benefits when they narrow the ranges for like what is normal cholesterol and that range has been changed so many times Mm -hmm. within the last hundred years why to put more americans on statins that do not need to be on statins Mm -hmm. so i think the reason clients can get so like upset about that number is because we've been so brainwashed to believe that oh if i have high cholesterol i'm going to have a heart attack or I'm going to have these like this terrible thing happen. So it's so normal for people to be concerned about that. But also it needs to be a holistic approach mm-hmm. of why is that high? Let's dig into 
all of the different factors that could be contributing to that. Because I even had a client. Okay. So I had a client who has, who, yeah, she has Hashimoto's. And I told her, I'm like, I want you eating, like you're eating one egg in the morning. That is six grams of protein. I don't get out of bed for six grams of protein. Like, <laughs> let's, get that, let's get that up. Like, I don't think people realize if you're trying to hit 30 grams of protein per meal, which is in my opinion, like a bare minimum, yeah. um, if you're trying to hit that, that's five eggs, <laughs> right? Six to right. Yeah, that's five eggs. And I'm not saying you have to eat five eggs, but have three eggs and chicken sausage, have three right. eggs and turkey bacon, like mix it up. But if you're eating one egg, that's like 90 calories. It was mm-hmm. so little. Mm-hmm. And so we got her, she started eating like four eggs in the morning, like four and her cholesterol went down from eating four eggs a day. I love that. So it's just like, it just goes to show and it makes sense. Cause she was balancing her blood sugar, more fat, more protein, less blood sugar spikes. And her blood sugar has a profound impact on our cholesterol. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense why her cholesterol went down. But I think it's just important to note that like only less than 25% of the reason your cholesterol is high. It's not from your food. It's from the cholesterol that's made endogenously in your body. Mm -hmm. The other thing with like the whole high cholesterol argument too, is the people that have, I don't want to say the people that have high cholesterol, because like we just talked about a lot of our clients that aren't necessarily doing this, but you also have to look at the type of food you're eating. Like Mm -hmm in these studies that have been done that are like fear-mongering cholesterol, where, what are, what is the diet of these people? Is it a whole food based diet and where they're eating eggs or are they eating McDonald's every day? Yeah. You know, where's their fat sources coming from? Yeah. And it's the same thing with red meat, like red meat's so demonized. And I know you're a red meat girly. I I see your Instagram stories. Like I'm saying, like I, genuinely crave red meat and saturated fat like so much I think that's like my body catching up for my plant-based days but it's like (laughs) yeah I definitely think my body's like playing catch up but red meat's the same it's like all of these studies where it's like not considering the diet as a whole like I think less than one percent of Americans are eating meat from regenerative sources and yes it's like such a privilege to be able to access that but less than one percent of americans are consuming like organic grass-fed grass-finished beef okay Mm -hmm. we feed cows in the united states candy like that is a legal like common practice for cows to be fed candy with the wrappers still on and then we take this thing that people have been eating for literally thousands of years and then we go yep that's all of a sudden causing colon cancer and yep that's all of a sudden causing all of these health issues and no one goes "Mm, maybe are it's because we feed the cats candy like maybe it's because we are literally abusing these animals like could it be that and maybe we're eating sick animals no no it's not that and like you said you said it perfectly where people it's not considering your diet as a whole because most people where is the red meat coming from oh i'm gonna go to uh mcdonald's and i'm gonna get a milkshake and i'm gonna get my burger and i'm gonna get my fries cooked in canola oil and then I'm going to get a McFlurry. Like that, that is the context of how most Americans, probably not you guys listening to this because a lot of y'all are health girlies, wellness girlies, but most Americans, that is how they're consuming red meat. So you can't lump people like who are consuming red meat in the context of the whole foods diet in the same category as people who are consuming red meat in the context of a processed foods diet. Exactly. And to me, it's just common sense. And I'm just so right. amazed that people lack that discernment. Right. But then, you know, it's the same with like tight head headlines and titles, you know, it's like people, people aren't actually reading 
the study yeah. to like look at that. They're just they see a headline and they're like, oh, that's yeah. that's gospel. So. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's done on purpose too. Like to, I think red meat's being used as a scapegoat right now for like a lot of other. I agree. Things. But yeah, it's like a whole whole other conversation. I agree. <laughs> we we don't have to get into all that. Yeah. So, do you have? Do you have any other controversial? What's next on your list? Oh, like what kind, what do you, um, you know what I want you to talk about, hmm. um, might be controversial, might not, but I want you to talk about your headphones. Ooh. Okay. So I don't use AirPods or yeah. And apparently that was a very hot take. I posted a TikTok saying that I would, I would never use AirPods yeah. and people were just coming at me saying like, why? Like, show me the sources. Like, why are AirPods bad? And for me, like, I, and I encourage all of you guys listening to do this as well. I make a lot of decisions about my health. I would say like 50% science, 50% intuition. Like I weigh both very heavily in my decision-making. And so when I look at all of the technology coming out, technology is evolving at a rate in which science cannot keep up with. Like technology is evolving. We forget that science is slow. Like mm -hmm. science is slow. It could take five years for a study to be published. Yep. And we are the guinea pigs. Like we are the guinea pigs with all of this stuff. Like if we look at cigarettes, like back in the day, people thought cigarettes were healthy. Back in the day, people thought we were putting asbestos in homes. And then knowing later, 30 years later, after people had lived in these homes with asbestos, that it's a carcinogen right. <laughs> and causing all of these forms of cancer. So it's like, we are the guinea pigs when it comes to any new technology or any new like innovation that comes out. And to me, I just use my intuition. Like I just don't, to me, it just doesn't feel. And again, people come for me because we live in a hyper-masculine society. That's like, show me the evidence, show me the research, yeah. show me the cool. I made a decision with my intuition. Why does that like, I'm not, I'm not projecting that onto anyone or telling you what you should be doing. This is just what I do for my body. And mm -hmm. the way I make decisions doesn't have to make sense to you. So right. And what I do for my health doesn't have to make sense to you. So I feel that, that like I'm putting something in my ears and then that Bluetooth and then like, could that be doing something to my brain in a negative way? I think I, my theory, my hypothesis, if you will, is that AirPods and like, they're going to be our generation's lead poisoning. Like mm -hmm. how... Lead poisoning was the issue for the boom, boomer generation. Yeah. That's going to be our generation. Our generation's yeah. lead poisoning is going to be microplastics, PFAS. It's going to be um, EMF exposure, Bluetooth exposure, like all of these things that we have never been exposed to in all of human history. Mm -hmm. Could that be causing health issues? Like in my opinion, like, well, guess we can just wait. Like let's wait 30 years and then we'll come back to this podcast and we'll see. Right. But that's just where my, yeah, I just make decisions with my intuition as well. And I don't project that onto anyone, but that's just how I make decisions. Like, mm -hmm. well, I just hate that I have to like explain myself when I talk about like, oh, I actually just like made the decision to use my corded headphones instead. People get right. so angry. They get so, so angry. angry. So bothered. It's so funny. And I've never, I haven't looked, to be honest, I've intentionally turned a blind eye because I don't want to know the information on that yet. Yeah, I understand. Um, and it's like, but I, I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? <laughs> I just lost it in thin air. Um, look at the research because, or not look at the information because it's Oh, like this. So when it comes to things like 
headphones, EMFs. It's still new technology, but it's not necessarily something that people can see. Like you can't see wavelengths, right? So people, like, it doesn't make sense that like, what do you mean putting this in my ear is bad? Like, I think it's easier to see, oh, alcohol physically makes me feel ill right after the next day, you know? So that's an easy correlation of alcohol, not good for health, makes me feel sick. Something like EMFs and wavelengths. And that is like, I mean, I don't even fully understand how technology works. So it's a very advanced thing that I don't think it's easy for people to wrap their heads around of like how that would, it's like very separate. Like how is that affecting your insides? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I don't even know if I, cause I'm the same, like I'm not, um, like an, a technology engineer or whatever you want to call that. Like I, I also don't know the science of exactly how these things work, but just intuitively it's like you said, when you consume alcohol, it's like a very short feedback loop. Like I drink Mm -hmm. and then very immediately I feel ill. And I know a lot of people when it comes to like, let's say food intolerances, like let's say you have issues with dairy. Like there's a lot of people that will eat dairy and then immediately feel ill. So you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like I know that X, Y, Z affects me, but there's a lot of things in health that are a longer feedback loop. And then it's harder to kind of like pinpoint Mm -hmm. that this is causing that. Right. So it's like so difficult. Yeah. Like you said, cause it's not visual. Mm-hmm. You can't physically see what it's doing, but yeah, it's just like, I just like to look at, cause I think what we have the most evidence on and like the most research on not necessarily research, but evidence, what have human beings been doing for the longest period of time? Not putting <laughs> like, little, right. uh, Bluetooth thingies in their ears. So Maybe that's like a strange, like to some people, they look at that and they say, that's a strange way to live, but I disagree. <laughs> I'm just going to use my corded up note. So that's well, just I my opinion. That. I love that you do that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So you also have an interesting, um, take, well, not take, but just experience, um, yeah. dairy. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about dairy? Yes. Oh, dairy is so juicy and controversial because I've posted about this so many times, especially on Instagram. People come for me every single time I talk about dairy because I was vegan. So I know all of the things and I'm not like hating. It sounds like I'm hating on vegans. I'm really not. <laughs> um, like, but people will come for me and they're like, have you ever considered the reason you don't tolerate dairies because you're not a baby cow? Like, oh, I never thought about that. Like, that's always, always the comment. Always the you're not a baby cow comment. It's like, oh, thank you. Never thought of that. I've never considered that. Thank you, Linda. Um, (laughs) But like, to me, it's just, we need to also, it's like going back to the point about carbs, like all carbs bad, all dairy bad. Let's just throw the baby out with bathwater. Why? Why aren't we asking? Okay, quality, because- this is, this is why I like to say nutrition is just, and this is why I think nutrition is such, there's so many controversial topics within the realm of nutrition because mm-hmm. it's a science and an art. So just because there's research showing that like there could be a study that comes out, it's like dairy is good. It has a great source of calcium, yada, 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 but it can flare the hell out of your autoimmune disease. So for different people, different people can tolerate different things and people feel it's very gray. Like there's a lot of gray in nutrition and people love black or white. Like just tell yes. me it's good or bad tell me it's 
cholesterol, good or bad. Tell me that dairy, good, bad. Tell me carbs, good, bad. It's like, there's so much gray and there's so much nuance and people are very uncomfortable with the nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so dairy, it's like quality. Well, am I like, let's just look at a one versus a two dairy. Like personally for me, I can tolerate a two dairy. If I drink factory farm milk or factory farm yogurt, that's just like conventional, like whatever I can find at Walmart. I'm going to have eczema like over my entire body. It's almost like an immediate response wow. where I would get eczema. Um, but if I have A2 dairy or like, which is um, goats, dairy, uh, sheep, dairy, there's A2 Jersey cows, um, like Alexandria farms, they sell at Whole Foods. Love them. I can tolerate their dairy just fine. Like I have no bloating, no gut issues, no eczema, no reaction whatsoever. What is um, What is A1 versus A2? I've never really looked into it. Yeah. So A1 is very much a product of factory farming. So A1 is the protein. So it tends to be a more inflammatory protein for certain groups of people. Um, And whereas A2 tends to be less inflammatory for certain groups of people. So it's again, like you very much have to play with it and find what works for you. Because there's some clients that I have where they they do the A2 dairy and it just doesn't vibe with them. So it's very much so something you have to play with and also acknowledging that different stages of your health journey are gonna look different. Like there was Mm -hmm. a period when I was very, very sick and dealing with gut issues. I benefited tremendously from eliminating dairy, but I was able to reintroduce it at a different chapter. So I just think acknowledging that like one, every chapter of your health journey is going to look different and will require different things from you. Two, quality is huge because we are consuming dairy in the United States where sick animals, cows fed candy with the wrappers still on. And then, um, like just pumped full of antibiotics because they're sick. And then the milk has to be pasteurized because the milk would be poisonous to drink if it was not pasteurized because we are consuming dairy from sick animals. And that's what people don't understand. And then when we come out and say, okay, but what about regenerative agriculture? What about raw milk's like a whole different topic. That's something I haven't dove into. You haven't? Much. Okay. I was going to ask you about um, the next. So <laughs> yeah, I haven't dove too much into like the raw dairy, but I have experimented with like low temp pasteurization dairy. So the, cause when you pasteurize the dairy that removes many of the beneficial enzymes that help you digest lactose. So when you're removing those enzymes, like it, we have to pasteurize our dairy in the conventional model again, because we're consuming sick animals. But when it comes to different quality of dairy, some people, you have to experiment with it for yourself because it's not an exact science, but you might find that, oh, I actually can tolerate A2 dairy or, oh, that's kind of interesting. I can do goat's cheese instead of normal cheese. Or also considering too, there's different, different dairy has different amounts of lactose or I'm sorry, lactase. No, lactose. Sorry. So (laughs) lactose is, yeah, different types of dairy have different amounts of lactose. So like if you take Parmesan, like harder cheeses, almost no lactose. So you might be lactose intolerant, but you might have raw, yeah, you might have raw Parmesan or like Greek yogurt. A lot of the, um, lactose is fermented out like through the fermentation process. So a lot of people Mm -hmm. lactose intolerance, can do Greek yogurt, but maybe you can't just yet do like a glass of cow's milk. Like different people can tolerate different things at different chapters of their healing journey. And there's just so much gray, like considering the quality, considering the state of your gut, considering like so many different factors. And I just hate how we view, like even my boyfriend the other day, he's like, Fiona, is gluten good? (laughs) That is a loaded question. (laughs) I could just talk for 45 minutes about that topic in itself. And he's like, and I said, well, for who and for when? And he goes, no, just tell me if it's good or bad. 
And I'm like, that's not how it works. Like right. people want black or white answers. And it's why nutrition feels so confusing. and so daunting to people because there's so much gray. Like there's yes. so much gray and people hate that. Love the black and white. Like, yes. yeah. And that's why I think a lot of accounts on social media, like I'm not calling anyone out, but I do see accounts that are like, oh, everyone with PCOS needs to be gluten and dairy free or everyone with Hashimoto's needs to be AIP. And it's like, there's so much nuance. And I've mm-hmm. seen, I've seen clients do fantastic on AIP. And I've also seen people not be able to sustain it and feel like crap when they have to like, they cycle on and off AIP for the rest of their life. So it's like, right. there's no, yeah. People that share black and white, their accounts blow up because people love they're it. They're very polarizing because it's like, they're telling <laughs> exactly. you do this, don't do this. And it's, they are the ones that I'm like, when I say it's about balance and you just need to sleep more and you know, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I've had people comment. They're like, okay, so it's just like balance. That's your whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it is though. (laughs) Like that's the truth. People think it is Yeah, because people think it's like a formula. Like oh, someone has the secret supplement that they're gatekeeping from me. And once I figure out the secret supplement, then I'm going to be healed. And like, there's the secret like diet that I just haven't figured out yet. And once I figure it out, then like, I'm going to be healed. And it's like, but then completely disregarding the nervous system, stress, trauma, sleep, like that's the foundation of your house. And it's like, you're jumping all the way to the roof and you don't even have the foundation down and your whole house is going to fall over. Cause you're like, right. focus on the things that like you said, it's no one wants right. to hear that. No, it's not sexy. And, it's not like, Ooh, this brand new topic. And right. people want that on social media. Yes, they do. And the, the word gatekeeping triggers me <laughs> because the amount of times I've had people call me a gatekeeper because there's so much information though. Okay. Here's why, because I share stuff about what comes up on a GI map. And they want to know X, Y, and Z supplement protocol to get rid of H. pylori. They want to know X, Y, Z protocol to get rid of candida. I don't feel comfortable as a practitioner sharing specific protocols on the internet to people that don't even have a test to know if that's what they're dealing with. When some of these antimicrobials can actually cause collateral damage and you have to do a whole nother phase app, you have to do prep work before you start them, open up detox pathways. And then you got to do like a closing out a seal chapter after you use them to make sure you're bringing up stomach acid, you're kind of sealing the gut lining, all of that. So it's like a whole thing when we're getting into like advanced testing. Right. It's not just your vitamins and your minerals and your omegas. Like I will share that stuff. But if you ask me for a protocol, like how, and I talk a lot about my own stuff because I've done a lot of testing. So I'm, I just finished up a parasite protocol and I've moved into my H. pylori candida protocol. Yeah. Very open with talking about it online, but I'm doing a very specific, this is my third protocol because I haven't really allowed myself to heal in the last couple of years. Cause I've just been go, 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 not giving myself rest. And I didn't treat my husband for H pylori the first time. And it's very, um, cause you can transmit it between- very easily yeah. through saliva. So I treated it the first time, got rid of it. And then it came right back with vengeance, but we never treated him. 
And wow. we've been together for six years. He definitely has gotten it. And so wow. we're treating him this time, but people are like, well, how are you healing it? And I just say herbs and I get DMS like your gatekeeper or comments. I always delete them. I delete the comments. Cause I don't do well with, you know, I'm, that's what I'm in therapy for, but <laughs> I'm like, I hate that word because I'm not gatekeeping, but I also, I'm just not being negligent in exactly. advanced so, practices. People don't, I think it's like I understand where it comes from though. I also do, I don't see it as gatekeeping at all. Like I think you're just being responsible. Like yeah. you're being very responsible with how you are handling and distributing that very very like very very like you said there's so much that goes into it that people don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people are coming from traditional medicine where you're diagnosed with XYZ you're given medication for XYZ and then you're sent on your way. So then people come into functional medicine and they come into holistic health with that same pill for every ill yes. mindset. And they come into it thinking, oh, I have H. pylori. That means I take this. And why mm-hmm. is it she just telling me what she's taking? And I understand that perspective. But at the same time, we have to understand this is a completely different paradigm than right. what you've been used to going to your endocrinologist, rheumatologist, wh- whoever you've been seeing. This is a completely different paradigm. And it's very, very holistic. And when we say holistic. It's like, I would have like when I get I get DMs where people say, Fiona, my gut health is off. Tell me what I should be doing. Okay. Like, <laughs> what are you eating? How are you living? What are your stress levels? What is your sleep? Like I would, that would be a 90 minute conversation with you. I cannot like talk, walk you through like everything you should be doing when you DM me and say, my gut health is off. What do I do? And I think that's why like people are so intimidated by the gut health space because it's so nuanced and it looks different for every single person. And it's not like, I think people also want a framework. They want to just be told that, oh, you just do step one, step two, step three, and then you're going to be good. And for everyone, it's the exact same. No, like your imbalances might be different than mine. Like mm-hmm. if you have a candida issue, that's going to be very different than if you have like low stomach acid, like it's going to look right. different depending on your unique gut imbalances. And so I even saw like a video on TikTok the other day and this girl was talking about how she went to a naturopath and like how she just had like an amazing experience and how this naturopath did all of this testing that she's never had before. Mm -hmm. People in her comments literally were saying, you're gatekeeping. Oh, so you're not gonna tell us what your naturopath prescribed you? You're not gonna tell us what they gave you? Like, how does that concern you in any way? Like that is- to her and her imbalances. I've even seen videos on TikTok where people say, I spent five grand going to a functional doctor. So you don't have to like, that doesn't mean she could be taking five different supplements, five, 10 different supplements. It has nothing to do with you because that is tailored to her. Right. And so people don't understand how customized this is and how tailored it is to your unique body Mm -hmm and your unique circumstances. And I think that's why there's so much confusion because we're coming from this paradigm of pill for every ill. And now we're like, Ooh, pill for every ill, but make it natural. Like, right. oh, um, I just need to take a probiotic. Like that's it. No, right. No, right. That's yes. not, that's, not a, that's a really good, you know, viewpoint that I never really had, but I definitely, it makes more sense now. Mm-hmm. But it's very true. Like everyone comes to me because they've got bloating, but it's like one person's got PCOS. One person has estrogen dominance and low androgens. The other person has H. pylori. And then this person has a parasite, but they all struggle with bloating. 
Yeah. So it's like, there are so many different reasons why you could have a lot of these symptoms overlapping. Like the main symptoms, we've got like acne, eczema, chronic fatigue, bloating. Mm -hmm. Can't lose weight. Those are like the main symptoms that get people to look further in their health. And it's like, okay, there's so many different issues and so many other symptoms that you didn't realize are parabithic. Yeah. Even like acne, like people like to see it or like, let's take hair loss. I get, that's Mm -hmm. a DM I get all the time. Fiona, tell me what I should do for my hair loss. Is it a thyroid issue causing your hair loss? Is it hyperandrogenism causing your hair loss? Like PCOS? Is it lack of minerals like zinc and iron and copper? Is it that you're under eating and that's fueling your hair loss? Did you have COVID in the last year? Cause that could be fueling your hair loss. Like those are four different things. And you do different things depending on which bucket you fall into. So what someone with PCOS does for their hair loss might look very different than someone who's completely malnourished from under eating and over exercising their entire life. It's going to look totally different depending on the person. And this Mm -hmm. is why, like I share very openly that it took me seven years to get to where I am currently in my health because I've treated my health like a DIY project. And it's really (laughs) like, like not what I would recommend. I think from a not gatekeeping, I hate that, like, but from a not gatekeeping perspective, work on the foundation of your, of your health house, like things that you can do without a practitioner, that's your sleep, that's your Mm -hmm. stress, that's your nervous system regulation, that's balancing your blood sugar, like most people are not doing that, so that's just making sure you have enough protein and fiber with every meal, that's like getting sun exposure, like, and those things alone for a lot of people can move the needle forward significantly if you actually apply those things. So those are things for all of those different scenarios you laid out, like the gut scenarios, the hair loss scenarios, all the foundation of the house is the same. Like that's going to apply to every single person. So I'm like you, like that's the information I try to share on social media because that's what I feel comfortable sharing with. And I just think a lot of this information very much can be abused Mm -hmm. and used incorrectly and a lot of harm can be done like even oil of oregano like oil of oregano you should not be on oil of oregano for six months exactly and people don't realize that's like nature's antibiotic right so that can do a lot of damage and people don't realize that and they see oh someone online said they have candida they took oil of oregano but are you taking it in a way that's appropriate for you and i see a lot like you said a lot of these antimicrobial herbs like they can be very difficult, like very hard on your system if you're, if they're not appropriate for you. Mm -hmm. So there's, we, what we're trying to do is not gatekeeping. It's just like this information can be abused and can cause harm and just be natural and you can buy it on iHerb or you can buy these supplements at the grocery store. It doesn't mean that they are necessarily safe and safe for you. So it's just, we're, yeah, it's, it's about just safety in general. It's not gatekeeping. Exactly. I get tired of that. I get so tired. And the other comment I get all the time is too, when I'm like, I list all of the free resources I have and like, just my, my majority of my time is creating free resources to put out there. But then I'm like, if you are doing all of the basics and you aren't getting the answers and you need the like extra step, book a consult, yeah. let's work together. And someone's always like, oh, so it's money in your pocket. That's the only way you help people. And I'm like, I started a podcast. I don't get any money for this. And mm-hmm. I'm spending hours a week putting out free, helpful, educational resources. I post how many videos a, a day on social media of free resources. I've created two eBooks, free 
resources. I, there's so much free help. And I understand that it does, not everybody can afford it, but at the same time, I do believe that we deserve to get paid for the work that we're going to do. If it's beyond the scope of the free resources that we provide. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you shouldn't feel guilty for that. It's like the analogy I like to give, especially with social media, because there's some some people that will really abuse your time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, let's say you're going to a coffee shop. Would you go to that coffee shop and go, I want a free cup of coffee? No, no, you would not. You would not. And you wouldn't tell them that they're gatekeeping or they're money hungry or they're greedy <laughs> for charging you for a cup of coffee. Like imagine someone's coming into your coffee shop and they go, can I have a free sample? Uh, um, okay. I took my free, can I have another free sample? And then every day for a month, they ask for a free sample. Like, mm-hmm. no, that shop owner deserves to be paid for their time, their money and their energy. And it's like you said, like, I also create so many free resources and even podcasts. I don't think people realize like it actually can cost money on our end to make right. podcasts. Yes. Like it is a cost for us. Yes. So I, yeah, it's, you can get, and I, podcasts are so amazing. And there's like, even like in an, uh, one resource I love to give people, Dr. Stephen Cabral. Are you familiar with him? Love him. Yes. Love, love him. Dr. Stephen Cabral. You could go to his podcast. His over a thousand episodes. You yeah. could go there and you could type in the word candida. You could get all the information you ever could need. You could type yeah. in the word histamine intolerance. There are five podcasts I guarantee you like in his mm-hmm. database. So to me, it's like in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. Like you can look and find that information somewhere. And like, we are going to present information in a way that we feel like is safe for the general population. Right. So it's out there. Gotta look for it. I also think people consume a lot of, like there's a ton of free resources out there, right? People consume a lot of information, like a lot, Mm -hmm. but how much are you applying? Mm-hmm. you know how much are you actually taking like okay I'm going to try this even if yeah. you don't know if it's going to work for you like you did and even myself like I've worked with a lot of coaches and practitioners to get my own health on track but yeah. at the same time we're just trying it and seeing if it works like yeah. what works for me may not work for you but you have to try it to see and so start implementing things and making sure like that's that's the first step is application to your life right mm-hmm. can't just consume and not apply and that's I think that's like a big form of procrastination that I think a lot of people don't they're not aware that that's a form of procrastination like mm-hmm. it definitely was for me like just speaking from personal experience I was the person that like read the blogs read the books of like followed every functional doctor you could imagine on Instagram on podcasts like I was a sponge, like absorbed, absorbed, absorbed. But how much of that did I apply? Uh, Maybe less than 1%. Because when we stay in research mode for too long, that is not valuable. It's like that quote that knowledge is not power. It's applied knowledge. That's power. So you're not doing something with that information. It did nothing for you. It did not change your life. It didn't make an impact. So I think it's, again, like remembering as well that our hormones are just mirroring our diet, our lifestyle, our habits, and then different imbalances. So it's like, 
just like for everyone listening, just take an inventory. And Mm -hmm. this is not a shameful place. This is from a place of where are there gaps in my lifestyle where I know that can make, that can move the needle forward in terms of my hormones or in terms of my thyroid health. It's like, am I getting sun exposure? Okay, cool. If you're not, if you can't remember the last time you saw the sun, you're going to have it. You make sense that you deal with insomnia. makes sense that you're having trouble falling asleep because you need to see the sun to regulate your circadian rhythm. So it's like, are you doing that? Are you sleeping? What's stress like? Are you doing one thing every day to regulate your nervous system? Like it could be small. It could be taking a deep breath at a red light in your car. Like that Mm -hmm. moves the needle forward. Like what are the small little pockets that you can fit into your day? And then those are things that genuinely do move the needle forward in terms of your hormones. Cause our hormones are just mirroring. Our hormones are so sensitive to stress, so sensitive to stress. So I just think like if anyone needs a starting place, start there and actually start executing and applying. Do you, you brought up sun. So I want to talk about. Yeah. Yes. I'm yes. curious your opinion on sun exposure and sun. Ah, oh, that's such a good, that's such a juicy question. Cause that is genuinely controversial. It's People very controversial. I don't I talk about you? it a lot. Cause I get scared. Do you, do you use sunscreen? Do you have an opinion on it? I want to know your opinion first. Is that going to change your opinion? No. Okay. No. I rarely is. use sunscreen, but I've started more, I've started more recently just because I do have acne scars. Yes. So I use sunscreen. However, I don't apply it until I'm in the sun for like 45 minutes at least so I can absorb the sun. Yeah. And then I'm using, I only use, um, mineral based. Yeah. I don't use so I didn't okay I love that because I I have a very similar philosophy as well for me okay so I lived in Denver Colorado Mm -hmm. last summer and there the sun is a lot more direct because you're so high up like the altitude so you're just I was very tan the whole time I lived there because you're so close to the sun right um and so I did an experiment very controversial I have like some estheticians and people who follow me that are like gonna cringe when I say this but I'm like hmm what would happen if I went a whole summer without putting sunscreen on literally the whole summer? And so all I focused on was upping my antioxidant storages and getting morning sun exposure, going ham with antioxidants like berries, fruit, mm-hmm. vegetables, liver, vitamin A, like vitamin A rich foods. Um, did not burn once, didn't burn, didn't peel. And I am so fair skinned. Like I am so fair skinned. I'm the person in my entire life where I I would be out by the pool for 30 minutes and I would be burnt. I went to South Carolina on vacation. Like I was out, I was in the sun all, all summer, all summer. Cause I was hiking, I was outside. Um, and I'm from the Midwest. So I was, I'm from Ohio, like very cloudy and just gray all the time. So when I went to Colorado, I'm like, this is amazing. I love the sun so much. I just want to be outside all day. Um, I didn't wear, sun, I didn't wear sunscreen the entire time I was there. I didn't get burned once. Like never happened so I just think because I also have acne scars and the way I just view sun exposure and I think one of the reasons so many people say like oh I get burnt or oh I um, am just so sensitive it's like yes your complexion like if you're Irish and like very 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 fair skin that's going to look very different for someone who is like Hispanic mm-hmm. um like your complexion in general, but at the same time, we get very irregular sun exposure. So like we go all year 
inside, not seeing the sun, not exposing their skin. And then we're like, Ooh, I'll take a trip to Miami. (laughs) (laughs) After being in your Midwest home all winter, you go to Miami and you, your sun, your skin sees the sun for the first time. And then there's a whole like very, very controversial topic of like, do seed oils contribute to that? I've seen, like, I've looked at the graphs and whatnot of like the overlay of like the time they were introduced to the time that skin cancer started on the rise. And like correlation doesn't mean causation, but it's just interesting to think about could the oils and the foods we're consuming contribute to adverse skin reactions. I don't think anyone can say for certain because like the evidence just isn't there. Like people will show like studies done on like there was this one study done on I believe it was rabbits and the rabbits had, they took one rabbit group of rabbits that ate like a very high, like kufa rich diet, like a lot of the canola oils, soybean oils, things like that. And they took another group of rabbits that ate like saturated fat. And the group that ate the kufas were like very wrinkly and like skin issues. And then the other group was very healthy, but we're not rabbits. (laughs) And like, I'm sure skin is different than rabbits, but it's at least interesting to think about. Like, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I, I also, I'm like at a place where it's like, I, don't, I also don't know how I feel about it because I haven't found a sunscreen that I really love. Um, yeah. Because I'm also very like, personally, I have very sensitive skin. Um, but I went a whole summer without wearing it as an experiment. Guys, I'm, I'm my own like lab rat. I do yes. experiments on myself all the time. And that's why I'm always like very reluctant to share what I'm doing. Cause I'm like, mm, would I even recommend that someone does what I do. Cause I'm just right. curious. I'm just curious. Very That's curious. All. I love that too. And the sun, the sun topic is so, so controversial. And yeah. to be, I think also to your point, I think when people are in episodes of poor health, that yeah. they will burn easier Yeah, as a result of kind of like you said, you upped your antioxidants as like oxidative stress and how much, like, what are your cells at a root cause dealing with or a root level dealing with? And I, I tan super easily. So it's like, I've never really worn sunscreen. Like I was just wore tanning oil, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like that didn't have SPF in it. And I never, I never burnt. I did notice, even though I live in Texas, so like I'm in the sun more than when I was in the Midwest. Um, but in the last year or so, since I've had more intense gut issues, I'm a little bit more sensitive to the sun. Oh, interesting. So I find that very interesting too, you know, and it's like, huh, but there's not, you know, there's not studies to to prove that or to like see what exactly is going on. But I do think that is interesting. So I'm curious once I go through this, finish up this protocol over the next couple of months and like really, you know, fix myself and get to an optimal state of health where, what is my son? What will I be like then? You know? Yeah. What I will say I, so in the past I haven't, I've like used sunscreen very on and off. Like I said, last summer I went without it, but recently I started using it again. Cause I've been using retinol. Do you have an opinion on retinol? I'm curious if you um, do. I've been using retinol and you have to wear, like you will burn yeah. the shit out of your skin if you don't wear sunscreen. So I've been the days that I use retinol, I'm like using my sunscreen or yeah. if I'm doing like a chemical exfoliant, cause I yeah. also have had like major acne scarring from my horrible horrible cystic acne and retinol is like the only thing that has helped with my acne scarring so I've used 
I've been because I use medical grade retinol like it's a drug right. be right. very careful with like yeah like the sunscreen and stuff so yeah I, I haven't really I've never really looked deep into retinol um I haven't really used it either myself yeah. but yeah. I also haven't really I'm still battling candida H. pylori. So I'm like, I'm still getting acne. I don't want to, I'm not going to treat the scars just yet because I'm still having flares. Yeah. So we'll get there though. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Like when your skin's still in like a volatile state, what I will say, I'm not an esthetician, but retinol can help with just like overall breakouts in general too. Like really, that has been, and I'm very holistic, but also I like- (laughs) So with skincare, a lot of skincare is just bullshit. Like there's, it's so much marketing and it's like, Ooh, this is game changing product. This is game changing product. What we do know is like retinol has shown to actually help with anti-aging and like actually helps with acne scars and actually helps with, I, it's the only skincare product I've noticed like a 180 truly in my skin, even having active breakouts, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's like my one. My one not holistic thing that I use, my wellness girly vice is my prescription grade retinol. So you win some, you lose some. That's fine. There's, there's things there's, we all have like a few things that we're doing Ah. that we're not telling the public about because it messes with our identity, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. hundred percent. Is there anything else that you think that you do that's kind of controversial? Hmm. Honestly, I don't think people in real life would say this is controversial whatsoever, but then people online would like, sometimes I'll make a sandwich with like, I'll go to Aldi. Like I love Aldi. I'm an Aldi girly. I think they just have such good prices on their, on their food in general. So I'll like go there. I went to Aldi before this podcast and then I went to Whole Foods. Um, and I love their gluten-free bread. And it has, I think it has safflower oil in it. And I really don't give a crap because <laughs> most gluten-free bread tastes like sand. It has the texture of sand. And there's just some things I'm like, I am willing to accept that this has some seed oils in it. I'm just going to be honest. Like, I don't think anyone's perfect. And I get really tired of like the wellness space, people claiming they're perfect. Like no one is, no one Mm -hmm. you watch on social media is perfect. And it's like, for me, I'm, I just think it's about having awareness. I think there's two camps of people online. Camp one is like, seed oils are no problem. Like you don't even have to worry about them. They're perfectly healthy. They're heart healthy oils. And then there's people in another camp that are like, no seed oils, like never consume them. You're going to burst into flames. And it's like, where are the people in the middle that just want to be intentional and like, that's yeah that's my my shtick is like I'm intentional I know when I go out to eat you're gonna cook with seed oils and that's fine because I go out to eat like once a week once every two weeks it's fine my body's resilient it can handle it and I promise your body can handle it and my body can handle you know if that's the only product in my grocery shopping basket that has the seed oils I'm okay with that I'm really okay with that and there's some people that would really disagree with me or I've even had people in my comment section very much try to police what I eat or in my DMs trying to police what I eat. And I straight up will ask them. I'm like, are you trying to 
police what I'm eating because this is just like I'm intentional right. um where they're like you know that bread has sunflower seed oil and like that that's a seed oil and that's omega-6 and that's inflammatory it's like we need to chill because the biggest issue with seed oils is the ratio like the mm-hmm. omega-6 to omega-3 ratio and the average American is getting seed oils and salad dressing fast food frozen food uh chips like all all all, all ultra processed foods are going to have them so the average American has a 20 to 1 omega-6 to omega-3 ratio which is a pro-inflammatory state it is the quantity that in which right. we are consuming them so it's like there's one group of people that are like whatever it doesn't even matter eat whatever you want and then another camp that are so extreme yeah. and I find it very odd I find it very it odd. is it's I went through a phase where I was like in that camp of none of it I can't have any of it <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was so anxious all the time because yeah. I was like this is so restrictive this is so hard and I was so afraid of any little droppage of seed oils or anything that I had I was like on vacation with my husband's family and they're all eating gummy bears and I'm like it's got red 40 in it I can't have it and I'm like <laughs> twitching and I'm like but it looks so good <laughs> yeah. and I'm like okay I and I you had a really good take on this like the body is resilient yeah you can handle small stressors I mean hey we talk about maybe this isn't no that's not a good example I'm not going to say that because it's not even comparable but we can handle especially if you're in a good state of health like you can handle small stressors like that and you're going to be okay there's times where like right now I'm in an elimination diet but it's just part of a protocol I'm doing that's for a set amount of times it's for six weeks and then after that you know, I start introducing foods back in and it's like, we're, I'm, I'm going to be back into that balance phase. There's only the restriction, the like intense restriction is not necessarily great for long periods of time. And that even goes to like things that are technically healthy, like a low FODMAP diet. Some people live by that. And they're like, they own, they've taken these foods out years ago and never brought them back in, even though they actually are very nutritionist nutritious and it might not be the food itself that's like causing the issue but the state of your digestive tract and once you fix the digestive tract and kind of heal that up then you can bring those things back in but there's so many people that and I know we kind of I'm going on a rant here we kind of talked about this before I hit record about food sensitivity tests but some people and I've even talked to people where they've done a food sensitivity test like three years ago and they took the foods out that came back red that's all they did They never did like any sort of root cause work or like fixing leaky gut or figuring out why were they sensitive to those foods. So then they're just eating a very restrictive diet because this test told them to, and then they're just stuck in this. They're still bloating and now they just eat even less. Yeah. It's like, and I see that so often in clients too. And that happened to myself. It's like, oh, I, you identify maybe gluten and dairy are a trigger. So then you eliminate that. And then it's like, oh, but I'm still bloated. What else could be? Okay. Then beans. Okay. Then garlic. Okay. Then onion. Okay. Then broccoli, cauliflower, all of these things. And now I'm down to, uh, I don't know, five or six or seven safe foods. And it's like, you're eating around the imbalance. Like you Mm -hmm. haven't addressed the imbalance at hand and you're just eating around it. And so you never got to the root cause because if you had gotten to that root cause, you'd be able to eat those foods again. Right. Um, like I'll use dairy as an example. I really made the whole gluten-free dairy-free. I really made, when I first started my TikTok four years ago, like I, I was a gluten-free dairy-free, I made gluten-free dairy-free 
e-cookbooks. Like I was so into that because I thought that, oh, I've gotten to the root of my gut issues. But once I actually addressed dysbiosis, like candida, once I actually addressed that, oh, interesting. But now I can have garlic and onion and gluten. Not, I still yeah. can't but I can have garlic and onion and broccoli and cauliflower and FODMAPs and all of these. I can put eight cloves of garlic in my soup. When the soup calls for two, I go ham on the garlic now. Cause I'm like, I can have garlic again. I can have apples again. Like you get so excited about boring foods. I'm like yes. so excited to eat an apple. Like who's excited to eat an apple as someone who's had gut issues my entire life. I'm freaking excited every time I get <laughs> like hype to eat that apple hype to put nine cloves of garlic in my soup because we've gotten to the root of the imbalance mm-hmm. so I that's also why again like I just think it's so harmful to make your identity a framework because also dairy I've been able to add dairy back in I can drink a whole glass of grass-fed milk and have not an issue like yeah. not an issue at all not a single fart I love that comes out of my body and that used to be like toxic gas like do not sit next to me on the couch like if I'm being so TMI my first retail job when I was 16 I worked in a Plato's closet and I was like folding clothes in the back room my boss comes into the back room she's like oh there must be birds dying in the walls again because it's so so bad back here she's like do you you notice that smell and I'm like oh like that's really weird birds must be dying in the walls like that's how that is how bad that's how bad my digestive like people thought there were birds dying in the walls of this building I work oh my god they thought your farts were dead animals they were yeah it's like oh that's been an issue we'll have to bring that guy out again to like scrape out the dead birds out of the walls oh yeah like and that doesn't have to be forever like that was because I have no awareness around nutrition this was like in high school and my mom would like literally drive me to work because I didn't even have my license yet. And we'd go through the McDonald's drive through and I'd get a McDonald's iced coffee with like the whole milk. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, it's so weird. I'm having like these stomach issues. Like that's so crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. But now I can have dairy and it's like no reaction. So it's just what you can handle at different, like if you would have, if I would have reintroduced dairy when I was 16, Oh, like my my system was not in the place to handle that. And like to what you mentioned about protocols, like protocols are for short periods of time. They're not meant to be um, 12 months, two years, three years, because at that point, like with cutting out any food, it's like you have to weigh the pros and the cons. Like if I'm cutting out dairy, okay, on one hand, I'm cutting out something that might be triggering for me, but I'm also cutting out calcium. Calcium's a macro mineral. Like if we don't have calcium, calcium's important for insulin sensitivity. So for all my PCOS girlies that are told to go dairy free, it's like you are cut, probably cutting out your main source of calcium that's helping improve insulin sensitivity. So it's just, there's, you have to look at it from both like every lens where that's also why I like, I don't agree with dietitians on everything that they say, but that's one thing I do agree with dietitians on big time is that you do have to consider the negative sides of cutting out a food as well and that's why protocols are only meant to be short-term they're not meant to be a long-term thing like right. even going back to low carb it's like okay if I if I do keto or if I do carnivore and I, do, I have no fruit in my diet at all I know some people who, car- who do carnivore and they eat fruit if I do no fruit no carbohydrates I'm eliminating all of my potassium cow like I'm, I'm eliminating all of those electrolytes that I need like my muscles need and like thousands of functions in my body potentially can't work now so it's like you just always have to think about yeah like the pros and the cons but protocols are just like meant to be short term yes so exactly 
correct an imbalance. I have been dairy free. It'll either be six or seven years coming up. Wow. No, I know. I and so when you started talking about like it, maybe you're not, maybe you don't have to be. I was like, you're a perk. <laughs> like, yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, I was in, I don't, does that put me in high school or college? I don't remember, but um, somewhere around there, I think it was in college. I had some testing done and someone, it wasn't like blood testing or anything like that, but the practitioner was like, I was dealing with a lot of acne and yeah. um, she was like, you should give up dairy. That's like a big trigger. So I like listening to her. I was like, of course, okay. Uh, giving up dairy. So I gave up dairy and this was back before there was like dairy free things, Yeah, uh, which yeah. I mean, a lot of those are kind of crap, but even like they didn't have coconut yogurt. They didn't, you know, they didn't have that type of stuff. Alternatives weren't there. Right. So I was like, oh, this is a huge sacrifice. Cause I love, I was the girl that sat at dinner. My brother and I would sit at dinner. We had the same spot at this oval table every night at dinner. And we <laughs> had the milk jug between the two of us because we were filling our glasses and I would drink two to three full glasses. Like I'm talking like wow. 16 ounce glasses of milk at dinner. I loved, I, I would, yeah. my cousin and I have this joke. Cause when we were younger, we were like running around this one day and I was talking about, I, we're, I don't know what we were doing exactly, but I was like, I'm so parched. I need milk. And my family was cracking up because when I was thirsty, I didn't want water. I wanted milk. <laughs> and so then I gave it up and I haven't had it since. And like, I loved it so much and my acne didn't get better, but this practitioner told me to give up dairy. And then I did figure out that eggs were a big trigger for my acne. Mm -hmm. Eggs were giving me like cystic acne on my forehead. So I took those out and then that went away. But I have the hope and the intention that yeah. after I fix my issues and can like, and don't have bloating all the time and my acne does go away, that I can reintroduce those things. Like you I would will be able to, I would love to, I haven't tried it yet. Cause you know, not I'm not in a good state to where I think exactly. it would be positive to do so. Yeah. Um, I want to get further along and not have these issues before I reintroduce it, but I cannot wait to do so. Yeah. Yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah. I'm like, it's so funny because I was the same, like had very like cystic acne. And I think that's like very common advice. So many people are told when they have acne is just cut out dairy. Yeah. And that does work for some people. I feel like anecdotally, um, like I've seen people benefit from that, but same for me. Like I look back at, at pictures. I was looking back at pictures the other day of like my skin, what it used to look like and what it looks like now. And I'm like, I was eating so healthy there. I was like gluten-free, dairy-free, grain-free, like healthy, quote unquote. I say that in air quotes, by wellness culture standard, not mm -hmm. by actual, like looking back, I said I was healthy, but I was doing high intensity interval training six days a week. And I said I was healthy, um, but I was cutting out dairy and then replacing it with all of these ultra, ultra, ultra processed foods that had were dairy free. Cause like you said, a lot of the dairy free alternatives are not great. Like mm -hmm. it's still processed foods at the end of the day, some are less processed than others. Yeah. And it's just funny. Cause now that I've, I literally eat cottage cheese every single morning, I put Greek yogurt in my, I drink like almost a whole glass of milk every single day. And my skin's never been clear. So make it make sense. Right. Because <laughs> oh. I was dairy free, that's when my skin was breaking out the worst. Why? So it's just, that's just my personal anecdote. Like everyone's right. different, but 
it's just interesting to think about. And you might even find too, like start with low, lower lactose forms of dairy. Cause like the lactase enzymes very use it or lose it, especially since you've been dairy free for six I know, or seven. That's what I'm scared about. But just start small. Like it's almost like training your gut, um, to handle it and tolerate it. Like start with just like raw parm. Yeah. I was like, and butter. I don't know if you cook with butter. So I, I, um, I'm not, I'm not sure if I was reacting to butter. And then I even tried ghee and I was like, I don't know what's something in the meal was causing me to like really, to be really bloated, like very distended, but I don't know what it was. Cause it was like a whole new meal that I've never had. This was like a couple of weeks ago. So in my current elimination diet, I, that's out right now, but that is on the list to try and reintroduce both ghee and grass-fed butter yeah. in like after week six. Yeah. So I love we'll that. see. We'll see what and happens. I don't know if this is a controversial opinion, but I just think the way I look at nutrition now is so different than the way I looked at it even four years ago. Cause I just, the way, like when you mentioned cutting out FODMAPs, like how people will cut out all of these foods that are nutrient dense and they're doing it cause they're in pain, they're bloated they're not like, it just feels like the most logical thing to do. Like I did it too. Um, and I do think that benefited me for a season of life, but it gets to a point where you're down to like four or five foods and you're like, Hey, these are the foods that don't bloat me. It's like, in my opinion, a healthy diet is like the most diverse diet you can possibly have. Like yes. more diversity, because that's also just been very well studied that like more diversity for your gut microbiome, people who consume 30 plus pa- plants a day compared to people who have the same five to 10 plants, which usually in the United States, that's like canola oil, soybean oil. Like those are the plants we're consuming. Um, people who have more diverse diets have healthier gut microbiomes and mm-hmm. it's been very, very, like very well established in the research that that's true. So I don't know. That's kind of how I see it. Different people see it in different ways, but like you said, like there are different seasons of life will call for different things. So if you're in a protocol, it makes sense because it's something you're doing to correct the actual imbalance that's causing issues potentially with those foods. And you might find that you can have a more diverse diet after that. I hope, I hope that's true for you. I'm like sending you the, Yeah. Able to digest dairy vibes. I'm, I'm manifesting that. I'm going to send you a video the first time I try it. (laughs) Oh, I hope that works for you. I'm like so excited. I do do have lots of your protocol. How many days? Uh, days, weeks, do you know? So, um, this is an interesting protocol that's different than I've done in the past. It is a little bit on the longer side. So we did two months parasite kit. Mm-hmm. Um, cause of certain lab markers that came back elevated and a lot of symptoms I had around the full moon specifically, Ooh. uh, like my booty hole was very itchy every time the full moon happened. <laughs> um, so we just finished that and there was not necessarily dietary restrictions during that phase. Mm-hmm. My diet is also very different than somebody that would come up off the street. They would probably have dietary restrictions, but for me, there wasn't any. And then we're doing three months rotating herbs for candida. Mm-hmm. Cause I've done par- or protocols in the past, but it was just once like a combination of herbs for 12 weeks. We didn't change. So we're doing it a little bit differently. Cause that did not, I have such resistant yeast, like yeah. it's built up such a tolerance in me. So we're doing certain herbs month one, switching it month two, switching it month three. Um, month three is more of like a rebuild phase. It's really the kill off is just month one and two. And then for that, the, I started that 
this last week and my elimination diet started this last week and it'll, the elimination diet will go for six weeks. Technically mm. I can start introducing some things like oats, um, white rice after yeah. three weeks, but certain oh. things like garlic and onion we're keeping out for six, mm-hmm. um, th- other like yeast inhibitors we're keeping out for longer periods of time interesting and then reintroducing them but I'm still eating like a ton of fruits and vegetables like it's not interesting I'm not going like total low carb or anything like that or removing a ton of fruits and whatnot so Mm -hmm. it's just it's very it's different than something I've than the protocols I've done in the past Mm. yeah you and me both like very I also had very resistant candida like candida is a biatch (laughs) awful and I like I so I remember even being like 10 years old my mom taking me to the doctor because this was like I personally think the breeding ground for candida is like tons of antibiotics as a kid and then you add in like standard American diet like very high highly processed lots of sugar it's like processed sugar antibiotics yes candida Yep. Um, and I remember being like 10 years old, having this white coat on my tongue and my breath smelling so disgusting. I was not a cool kid. I remember going to school and like breathing in people's faces. I was like, <laughs> because it smelled bad because it's like on bad. purpose. <laughs> like, <laughs> why did I do that? I don't know. liked um I was not a popular kid but I just had this horrible smelling breath and this white 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 coat on my tongue my mom took me to the doctor she's like this is ridiculous why do you keep (laughs) and she took me to the doctor and he looked at my tongue and he was like oh yeah you probably just need to drink more water and uh get a tongue scraper and so I've had it probably since I was 10 and I just now feel like I've nipped it in the bud and I'm 27 like that's how long yeah so it's not fun no and candida can cause a lot of mental effects too really plays with mental health deficiencies neurotransmitters stuff like that too and I um was talking to another coach recently and she was saying that some people can be predisposed to having like a breeding ground for overgrowth if your mother had it when you were vaginally birthed I mean there's a huge genetic component to candida right so I'm like oh well that makes sense I wonder I don't know I don't know how much yeast my mom had when she gave birth to me but possible it's possible and I also grew up in a family where it was like antibiotics all the time like I was and I remember in college taking antibiotics and having to ask for diflucan before what? I even took oh, the that's antibiotic a drug too. You don't want to know how many times I've taken that in my life. Um, because I would, I knew I would have a yeast infection after the antibiotic. So they would just prescribe me the diflucan with the antibiotic. And this is back from college. And I didn't really start getting into functional medicine and knowing like, that's not good until like three years ago. So uh, I did that a lot. And I actually developed an allergy to diflucan because I took it so often. So whenever the last cup, the last like year, cause I was getting them so frequently, like multiple times a year. And the doctors were just like, take another diflucan, another diflucan. So I would take it like three, four times a year. And 
I started getting like my lips would get really red and swollen. And then the outer edge of my lips would like, it almost turned into like a burn and it would peel off and it would take this process took like a week long. And the first time it happened, I had no clue. It was the medication. Like I couldn't figure it out. I thought it was chapstick that Drew's sister gave me for Christmas. I was like, Burt's oh, Bees no. is not for me. And then <laughs> it's not the Burt's Bees. <laughs> and then it wasn't until it happened a few more times that I realized I just took a Diflucan and 40 minutes later, this is happening. And I was like, oh, and so I had been taking a medication I was also allergic to for a long time. So it was, and then that probably messed my gut up even more. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, diflucan's so hard on the liver. I know you, you're yeah. castor oil pack girly. I am so. a castor oil pack girly. And my yeah. enzymes have come down so much. When I right. first got out of college and for, did my first ever blood labs, I was looking back because I didn't really know like functional ranges. I was looking back and th- my enzymes were like 35 and 40. And I was like, and now looking at them, I look at them to try in the functional range to be our around or below like a 19. And I'm yeah. like, I had no clue. And now they're like in the mid teens. So I'm, I'm my liver's doing much better now Good. than it was, but it's just funny how I had no clue. So you had, you had a candida issue considering it was like taking Diflucan that many times you've had an issue for a long time. It's like, yes. Right. And even though Diflucan is not an antibiotic, we know that there's resistance two antibiotics, the more you take it, the less it becomes effective. So in my personal experience, that is also true for the antifungal. And Mm -hmm. I think I just started building up. So I, there's a lot in me. Mm -hmm. I got to get a lot of it out. (laughs) I understand that. Candy does not. Well, also too, not to go in like a complete other tangent, another controversial thing. My older brother is autism. Okay. And also just like lots and lots of gut issues. And I speculate, I have MTHFR, like MTHFR gene. Mm-hmm. My mom and my brother's never been tested, but I know they have MTHFR. And it's just interesting, like, cause I also have ADHD. I speculate my mom, my dad, my sister, I speculate my whole family's neurodivergent. Just like they act. So like we, we have, like we have trouble methylating. Like we're yeah. a family has trouble methylating and it's just interesting because like methylation also impacts like heavy metal detox and mm-hmm. heavy metal and candida hang out together so if you're just genetic on a genetic level you are predisposed to not detoxing heavy metals as well like you're more predisposed and that's been studied like it's been well studied that um it's just I, the reason I mentioned that is because a lot of clients that come to work with me also are neurodivergent like I tend to attract a lot of clients like myself like ADHD um or just like neurodivergence in general. And I always think it's so interesting, like the connection between gut issues, genetics, detox of heavy metals, and like almost all, even they even did a study recently that people with ADHD and autism are more likely to have PMDD, like mm-hmm. 80 to 90% of people with ADHD and autism have PMDD. And could that be like, I don't know if you notice this and all of my candida clients, all of them have again like mental health you mentioned candida and mental health how candida impacts neurotransmitters every single one of my candida clients it's like horrible depression the week before their period anxiety the week the week before their period so it's just interesting how like on a genetic level even how these things are connected I don't think genetics are everything but it's just interesting to think about like the connection between all of it I agree do you feel like um because you have ADHD do you feel like over the years as your gut health has gotten better 
Do you notice a difference in that? Mm, honestly, it's like hard to tell because I feel like I just have like, I'm not medicated for my ADHD. I've found like, I just overall have more tools to manage my ADHD. So it's hard okay. to tell, yeah. but I do in the mental health department in general, like I was diagnosed with clinical depression after going on birth control, like was riding that birth control, the Prozac pipeline. I was on the Prozac, yep. birth, control, birth control, the Prozac pipeline was put on antidepressants. Like what I've noticed also from my own candida journey, once I took care of my candida, it was like the clouds parted and I'm like, Oh, I actually have functioning mental health and I'm not depressed two weeks out of every month. And I'm not having panic attacks out of every, two weeks out of every month. Like mm-hmm. it was genuinely miraculous to see that difference. So I don't know as much with ADHD, but I definitely have noticed a difference overall with mental health, like depression and anxiety is like no more. I am so, so pe- I feel so peaceful and at ease in my body. I've never, I didn't even think it was possible to feel that way. Like I thought that was just going to be my life for the rest yeah. of my life that I just always be. And it's so sad how many women and people with menstrual cycles have yeah. been told that this is just the way you are. Like your mental health is just going to suck. And these are your tools. Good luck. No investigating, not understanding how nuanced mental health is, how many factors contribute to your mental health. For me, it was a five minute doctor's visit of here's a list of uh, things you can check off. Oh, you check out five out of seven boxes. Cool. You're depressed. Like mm-hmm. no conversation around other things. So I do like, that's been the biggest change is like, I'm no longer depressed. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> that is so exciting. Yeah. That is so, and it's think of how many women, well, and, yeah. and men, but you know, we work, I think you primarily work with women too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are struggling with anxiety, depression that potentially could be imbalance induced and by imbalance, I mean like gut health control, stuff like that, that it's like, this could, this could be fixed. You're, you don't have to live that way forever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's just like, our traditional healthcare model doesn't even look at those things. And it's yeah. so irritating because like this, this is not pseudoscience. Like this has been well studied, like connection between MTHFR and depression, anxiety, bipolar, uh, connection between thyroid issues and depression. Like most of my Hashimoto's clients, they are either extremely depressed or anxious. Like it's like you're on a roller coaster. That's what it mm-hmm. can feel like. Fun fact, not so fun fact. It's very common to be misdiagnosed as bipolar when you actually have Hashimoto's because they can yeah. mirror each because your thyroid profoundly impacts your mental health. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning stages of Hashimoto's, you're both hypo and hyper. So you're uh, energized, tired, depressed, anxious, gain weight, lose weight. And you're like on this roller coaster, you literally feel crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a long time, when I was in college, I thought I was misdiagnosed. I was like, I'm not depressed. I have bipolar. I genuinely do. Because I would either go three nights without sleeping. And <laughs> I would like go on our eight mile run at two in the morning. And I'm like, I feel amazing. Or I would be so depressed. I like wouldn't leave my bed for two weeks. And yeah. interestingly enough, ooh, interesting when I put my Hashimoto's in remission, that no longer happens. That so is, thyroid deeply impacts our mental health. That is wild. You say that. Yeah. And it's just wild. So sad. It should just like, and again, that's the biggest issue I have with birth control is it's like, there are so many side effects and we deserve to be informed. Like it is, mm-hmm. I always say it's not my job to tell anyone what they should or shouldn't do with their bodies. It's like, that's not my job, but 
it is, it should be the doctor's responsibility to say, hey, um, just to let you know, uh, you are going to be at a higher risk of digestive issues, leaky gut, thyroid issues, autoimmune, um, mental health issues. And are you okay with that? Because that's what you're signing up for like that. And it's so sad that we're not informed about right. that. We're yes. going on some of these things because it is like, I think it should be illegal. <laughs> it makes me so angry. Like that topic just makes me well, livid. I feel it's like uh, maybe so I don't know if it actually is illegal, but I, I, I feel like it partially is illegal and they're getting, people are getting away with it because I'm pretty sure that as a doctor or practitioner, like you're supposed to, like they're, they're supposed to have in the informed consent or is that, I, can they get away with that? Because there's like a label on the box. I mean, I feel like with pharma, they do anything and everything they can to like cover themselves and protect oh, yeah. themselves. So I feel like the label inside of the medication, that's like, like enough probably is enough to protect them from a legal perspective but just because something is legal does not mean it's ethical right so it might be totally legal but not ethical for someone to be especially because so many women and people with menstrual cycles go on birth control when they're young like 16 15 14 Mm -hmm. so I don't know about you when I was 15 I did not know what I like, what questions to ask, like how to advocate for my health. I'm 27. I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. So yeah. Like yeah, that I was, I like you went to Planned Parenthood, but I was 15. Um, wow. yeah. yes, I had a boyfriend that was older than me and he wanted me to be on birth control. I didn't, and I was obsessed oh. with him at the time. So I was like, okay. So I actually had a friend drive me there because I couldn't even drive my parents didn't know and she pretended to be my legal guardian and I got birth control that way and then I was on it if my mom listens to this she has no I don't think she listens though I hope not and um yeah so I got on it that young and stayed on it for nine years and I had no clue that is so funny. You mentioned your friend driving you to pan- Planned Parenthood because I did that for one of my friends in high- no in college. I did that for one of my friends. I'm like, because she was like with this guy at the time and her parents were like super strict. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll just drive with you and like, we'll figure it out. And she's yeah. like, okay. And that's when I had no knowledge of this. Like, yeah. I was like, do you girlfriend, like do what you need to do. Because right. I just wasn't aware. Like I had no awareness around it. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because I did the same thing for one of <laughs> Oh gosh. I, yeah. If I could go back, <laughs> if I could go back, I'd tell young Leslie, don't you dare. Don't no, like when you're that young, you just don't know. I know. And again, it like needs to be, it's so often a conversation where the patient has to initiate, like, don't even get me started on PPIs. Like people, I have so many clients put on PPIs and it's like, uh, did your doctor tell you, um, that it depletes like a zillion different minerals and, uh, it also creates a dependency on that medication over time. So it's like impossible to get off and that your stomach acid levels can potentially be low for the rest of forever. Like, did they yeah. tell you that? No, they just told me that I have GERD and that I should be on a PPI. It's like, that should be that's so wrong. It's and so wrong. The, I believe the, um, I don't know if this goes for all PPIs, but I know some of them, the FDA has only approved use for like up to three months. Yeah. But doctors are, and I, my cousin's a pharmacist. So I just recently asked her the other day, I was like, just out of curiosity. Cause I think you said you asked yours, like a yeah. friend of yours. And I was like, I wonder what my cousin's 
is. And so I asked her what in her pharmacy, what her most prescribed medication was. And she actually looked in the system and said it was, uh, not Prozac, not Prozac, Prozac, Prilosec, Prilosec, Mm -hmm. which is a PPI. And, um, she even said, yeah, I think that, you know, doctors aren't necessarily like teaching clients how to wean off of it as they're supposed to be doing. And I was like, you're right. And then, but yeah, the other thing is people go to get PPIs because they're like, I have heartburn. I have acid reflux. I have bloating. I have all of this stuff, but they're just given a PPI, which if you are listening and you don't know what a PPI is, essentially it lowers your stomach acid. And so how, but 40 to 50% of the population has H. pylori. Yeah. H. pylori lowers your stomach acid over time. Mm-hmm. And it causes all of this, those same issue, the same symptoms, like low stomach acid mimics the symptoms of high stomach acid. They're almost mm-hmm. identical. And so why we're just giving something to then let this bacteria fester and grow even more, which on, like um, H. pylori, if it continues to be overgrown and it doesn't get treated can actually lead to stomach cancer, but we're not treating that. We're not looking at that first. And that is in the medical world. Like they do test for H pylori, but that's just not their first route of action. It's a very <laughs> interesting connection there. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's, and it's like, that's why I think the work you do is so important. Like the functional testing, because you're actually helping people understand because I think when it comes to GERD and things it's like oh it's such a minor issue it's not a big deal like we'll just put you on a PPI omeprazole prilosec whatever it is and we're not looking deeper it's like but why do you have GERD right okay uh what could be causing that okay you have low stomach acid why do you have low stomach acid well H. pylori neutralizes stomach acid so it's like digging 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 until you can't dig anymore because your body is talking to you like all of these little things we're talking about is your body's way of communicating with you letting you know there's something out of balance and like what you do and what I do is just helping people get back into balance right exactly yeah PPIs make me livid livid because they should come with a black box warning they should they don't already they should well is there anything else that you want to add to this list of things we've talked about today Mm. I feel like we talked about so much we did I have no clue how long we've been talking (laughs) but it's probably been a while (laughs) we were in a flow though we were just like having it we talked about so many good things like we talked about cholesterol red meat yeah. yeah, we talked about everything. I feel like. We Unless, did. Is there anything you want to talk about? No, I think we. Ra- I think I wrapped it up. I think that's okay. that's that's all we need to touch touch on. We'll come back. Okay. We'll have to do a, a part two later on with other things. Yeah, because there's a lot. There's a yes. lot. So, where can people find you? Yeah. So, uh, best place is my Instagram. It's just heal dot at gmail. And I, so I only accept new clients four times a year. I'll most likely be, I don't know when this podcast is going live, but I believe I'll be taking new clients in April. Um, I would just follow over on Instagram because if, when I do accept new clients, it'll just be on there. So that's like the quickest way to get updates. And I have TikTok too. My TikTok's the same as my Instagram. It's just heal.with.fifi. Um, and yeah, that's where to, where to find me. Awesome. Well, I will link both of those in the show notes and everybody go give her a follow. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me.